following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, good morning, Welford Baptist Church. Good to see all of you today. I'm glad you're here. I haven't spoken to the far country up here in a while. Good morning to you as well. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Hope you've had a good week and that you're well, your loved ones are well. And if not, they will be soon because there's just all kind of things going around right now, aren't there? But that probably leads in what I want to share with you today. Uh, before Christmas, I uh, interrupted with a couple of three Christmas sermons. Uh, I was in a series on the book of Philippians. And so today we're going to complete that. We're in chapter 4. And really I have about, uh, there's about two or three sermons in this one that I'm going to preach. So just sit back and be comfortable for the next two or three hours. And we'll get through this, okay? Some of you aren't smiling. I'm, I'm not serious, okay? All right. But we're going to look at today about the joy because the book of Philippians is all about joy. Paul mentioned joy, rejoicing, some form of the word uh, joy for about 16 times. And uh, we're looking at joy today, the joy of contentment. And I think this is a vital aspect for each and every one of us today. It's part of Christian living, uh, but we don't take advantage of it many times. Matter of fact, this is how I see many people look uh, these days and times, you know. So do you know anybody like that? You got a brother-in-law or somebody like that? In my past, I went to a deacon's meeting or two and I saw faces like that. But not here, okay? All right. So today we're going to look at the joy of contentment. And Paul writes about this. And I'm going to read. It's a little lengthy, but we're going to read the rest of the chapter beginning in verse 10. And Paul starts out with the word joy again. He says, I have great joy in the Lord because at last you have again expressed your concern for me. He's writing to the small church in Philippi. That's in uh, northern Greece. Now, I know you were concerned before and you didn't have an opportunity to do anything. And I'm not saying this because I am need for I have learned to be content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need and times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, key word, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I am satisfied or hungry, I have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me, God who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble. They had sent a love gift of money to Paul. That's what he's speaking of, okay? And as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry when I left Macedonia, there was not a church that shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. All these other churches that he went to and preached, they didn't give him a dime, okay? For even in Thessalonica, on, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I do not say this because I'm seeking a gift. I'm not looking for money. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account, God's blessings. For I have received everything. I have plenty. I have all I need because I received from Epaphroditus what you sent 
a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, that money very pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your need, how? According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. May glory be given to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. And then he ends, give greetings to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers with me here send greetings. All the saints greet you, especially to those who belong to Caesar's household. So the gospel is filtering from Paul's in prison. It's filtering from where he's being kept a prisoner, even into the palace in Rome. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Now, the Bible teaches, and this is what I'm going to share with you today, that we can learn to live a life of contentment. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but probably very few of us in here can say, you know what? I'm content. I got all this stuff going on in my life, but I'm okay. I'm okay. Now, I'm not speaking of a contentment that comes from what we own, possessions, or the activities we are involved in, or other people in our lives, for all those can be changed. They can be taken away in an instant. But a life of contentment that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the contentment that Paul had and that he's speaking of here. The ancient Greek philosophers at that time that Paul lived said that the highest aim, the goal of all of human life is contentment. But that was 2,000 years ago. And even in these last 2,000 years ago of that quest for contentment, it seems like it's a goal that many, not many of us really meet. Many of us have. It seems like contentment is in relative short supply. I see very few people who are content with their jobs or how they look or their marriages or their finances or their friends or even their religion or their church. There's just a, a, a discontent many, in many people. Contentment is having our desires limited to what we have, what we have in our lives right now. But you'll have to agree with me, I'm sure, that the chase of contentment we believe it is, is always ahead of us, isn't it? We may have started out that we want a job and we want to earn $30,000 a year. And then when we reach that, now our desire is 50000 We desired to get a new job and got it, but a few months later, we want a better job than what we have. Discontentment is probably the number one robber of happiness in our lives. We never seem to be able to quite match our desires with our circumstances. If only we could do that. If only someday would come when we, are, we either have what we want or want what we have, then we would be happy. Most of us are like thermometers, I think. We merely register what's going on in our lives. If the pressure is high and the things are tense, we're, we're irritable, we're grouchy. If life is stormy, we're worried and afraid. If, but if things are calm and relaxed, we read peaceful and quiet. But there's a few others, however, that resemble Paul in the words that he wrote about his life here. They're more registered and consistent 
like thermostats. They maintain a mature attitude in spite of all the highs and lows that we experience in life. The good news to all that I'm saying as I open up is that God invites us to experience a life of contentment. That invitation is found in the verses I read in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 26. There's three great principles, I think, that come out of these words that Paul wrote to this small church in Philippi, and they all point to a genuine contentment in life that you and I can have, that contentment that Paul had. The first thing we need to learn and recognize about contentment is that contentment is learned. Jane and I were told this past week that our granddaughter, our oldest granddaughter, Nora, is six years old, and she's playing basketball for the first time, okay? So we were excited for her. Her first practice was, I think, this past Thursday or Friday night. Anyway, we called her mother, our daughter, Carol Lee, to find out how that went, and she started laughing. And she said, well, Nora was really nervous before we went. But once she got there, she had a great time because it was social hour. All of her friends were there. And when she practiced, when she played basketball, all she did was just run around in circles, you know. But she had the best time, and she can't wait to go back again. She's got to learn about basketball, doesn't she? She's got to learn what basketball is all about. In Philippians 4.11, Paul writes this, I am not saying this because I am in need. But he wrote, but I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances are. I've learned. I've learned. Learning takes time, doesn't it? There's seldom any shortcuts. It takes time to learn another language. It takes time to become a surgeon. It takes time to build a strong marriage. It takes time to learn contentment. Sometimes we foolishly think that a quick and easy prayer will instantly give us the contentment we need. Lord, you know all that's going on in my life. Give me peace. Give me contentment, God. I need contentment right now. But seldom does it work that way. Usually we have to learn over many experiences, and often over many years. And that's not a downer, okay? There was a man named Saul in the year 36 A.D. who was not a Christian yet. He was a young, zealous Jew who who stood and held the coats of of the people who martyred and stoned Stephen, the first Christian to die for his faith. Saul was anything but content. His life was like a a, a boiling pot of emotions and zeal. And eventually that pot boiled over until he persecuted Christians and he went everywhere arresting them and even had some put to death. Now it's a year 60 A.D., 24 years later. He's in externally far worse circumstances than he was 24 years earlier. He's no longer called Saul, the persecutor of Christians. He is now Paul, Paul the apostle, Paul the founder of the church in Europe. 
He's now imprisoned in Rome. He's waiting the outcome of a, of a trial before the emperor, Nero. He's waiting to see if his life is going to be saved from the executioner's sword or not. It has taken him over 20 years to learn the lesson of contentment before he could write Philippians 4:11. I've learned, he said, to be content in any circumstance. How about you today? Where you are today? Have you been looking for the quick fix? Or are you willing to allow God to do the job right and to take the time to teach you to be content? It takes time, and I'm sorry to say it takes difficulty sometimes. Paul had many days in the classroom of difficulty and failure. He said and did some unwise things as we all do. Paul made some bad mistakes. He went through serious illness. He was run out of town. He was stoned on one occasion. He, he was beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and misunderstood. He knew poverty and hunger. He knew disappointment and distress. But Paul learned a very valuable lesson through all those difficulties. He learned contentment. He learned that God could do whatever, all that he could in Paul, whatever he was facing. You see, in every difficulty in life is a lesson that God is trying to teach us. It's our grand opportunity to learn to be content even if things go wrong. But then again, Paul also spent his share of days in the classroom of delight and success. Paul had received the best education of the time, of the days that he lived in. He traveled the empire. He conversed with kings and governors. He, he talked with the rich and the powerful, the brilliant and the influential. He performed miracles. He listened as thousands responded to his sermons and gave their lives to Christ and gave the glory to God. He was God's man in bringing the gospel to Europe and writing much of the New Testament. Paul also learned a great lesson from the classroom of delight and success, he learned contentment in those circumstances as well. And we make it say, well, yeah, I can learn contentment if I was rich and happy and things were going good. But you know what? For many people, success is far more dangerous than failure. Some people become proud. They become arrogant. They become greedy. They feel after an amount of time that, yeah, I do deserve the best. That anything less than what I already have, that's beneath me. I really believe they become the least content of all people. You see, every delight in our life is also a lesson from God as well. It's a very different kind of opportunity to be content, even if things are good, very good in our lives. That leads me to make a little illustration here. We know what an oak tree is, right? Did you know there are over 400 species of oak trees in the world? And all of the oak trees where they grow the best is in the middle latitude climates. The severe weather of the Arctic kills a sapling long before it's reached maturity. But the warm tropical climate, the wet conditions of the tropics, they aren't any better for an oak tree to grow. Oak trees need a combination of winter's cold and summer's warmth. 
They need to experience the, the weather of fall and the warm weather of spring. It's the difficulties and delights of many seasons and the many years that will make a mighty oak to grow and to stand strong. There's no hurrying for an oak tree. In fact, not much happens for an oak tree for a seedling in the first 10 years of its life. And it also takes time to learn contentment as well. It doesn't come in a day. It doesn't come in hours. It isn't learned in one moment of happiness or a single event of disappointment. Contentment for Paul and contentment for you and I is learned over a lifetime in the schoolhouse of difficulties and delights where God teaches us. So number one, contentment is learned. Number two, contentment doesn't depend on circumstances. Philippians 4.12, Paul wrote this. I have experienced times of need, and I've also experienced times of abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or I'm hungry, I have plenty or I have nothing, I am content. A Greek philosopher wrote that something that is frequently the attitude of, I think, a lot of our society even today, and that's a careless society. I don't care. I could care less. It's like if our pet dies, I could care less. If I break a dish, I could care less. If I'm hurt or injured in any way, well, I, I really don't care. It'd be all right. And if you go on long enough, something happens to one of our family members, somebody we love, and it's just, I don't care. And that's not, that's not what Paul is saying at all. This type of attitude is denying the pains and the pleasures of life. What Paul is saying, there's a higher priority than the circumstances that, that make up our lives. I play golf on occasion. I'd like to join these guys that play on Tuesdays, but right now I'm tied up on Tuesdays. But I, I enjoy golf, and usually the, those that I play with, I'm, I'm usually in last place coming in. I lose, okay? And uh, it would be dishonest for me to say, well, I don't care. I don't care if I did lose. I don't care if I was last. Well, I do care, you know. I'd much prefer to win. I'd love to come out on top sometime. However, winning and losing is not why I play the game. I go out now to play for fellowship and exercise, and I get both whether I win or lose. And Paul is saying that he doesn't live to eat or drink or to be comfortable, to have people like him or dislike him. He lives for Jesus Christ. And now I'm sure he preferred to be full. I'm sure he preferred to be comfortable than being chained up to a Roman guard. I'm sure he preferred to have enough money and he wouldn't have to ask churches to help support him. But either way, he said, I'm content because the circumstances are not my reason for living. Years ago in my first church that I pastored in Roanoke, Virginia, we lived in a parsonage and I cut the grass Pretty big yard. It, too, had oak trees in it, but that's beside the point. And one day, we were getting ready to go on vacation, Jane and I, and Carolee wasn't even a year old yet. And we were going to go to the beach, and that was like a five-hour drive from Roanoke. And I was out there cutting the grass, and it had a steep, steep front yard, so I had to use a push mower. 
And I was pushing along, and I was trying to get it done and get inside and, and get ready and pack my bags and go with my family to the beach. And as I was pushing, I didn't see it, but I, I pushed over a, uh, a hornet's nest in the ground. You ever seen one of those? They've a hole in the ground they've dug and hornets, wasp, whatever you want to call them, in and out. Well, I found out real quick it was there. I pushed over that thing, and all of a sudden, ow. Ow, I'm not going to dance, okay? Ow, ow, ow. I had on some baggy shorts, and those things came out, and they were stinging me all over my legs. And I screamed, bloody murder, left the lawnmower, ran into the house because they were eating me alive. My neighbor heard me scream. He thought I'd cut my foot off or something. He came running down, you know. And uh, he uh, was a retired fireman, and he says, I've got just a thing for you. And he went back to the house and brought some salve over, okay? So I put that on, and that was the most miserable night of my life, I think. We counted the stings. I had 25 wasp stings all over my legs. I was absolutely miserable. Well... We went on vacation, came back, and then we were going off again about three weeks later. And uh, I had poured gas down the hole where that wasp's nest was and, and killed them all. Didn't see any. Cutting grass again, ran over that same place. One of those boogers came out, one of them, and stung me right down here toward my ankle. And we went on to the beach, Virginia Beach this time. I told Jane, I'll be okay. I'll be all right. Put some of the salve on it. And we got down there, and as we were driving, my legs started puffing up. And when we got down there, it had swollen, and now a red line was coming up my leg. And I had enough sense to know I need to see that taken care of. And I went to the emergency room at the hospital in Virginia Beach, and they hooked me up to an IV and pumped me full of whatever it was and said, now, for the next two days, you've got to come back here every four hours and get an IV. And I did. You know, what a vacation, right? But, you know, I look back on that, and while we were there, those three or four days, part of the time they were good, other times they were not so good. Thing, some things went great. Some things were hard, getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning and driving to the emergency room and getting pumped full of stuff, you know. But you know what? My purpose in that trip was to be with my daughter and to be with my wife, to be with my family. I learned, even in all that mess I was going through, to enjoy them. And I've learned the same thing, to enjoy the ones I love. Whether it's bright or sunny, I'm well, I'm sick, whatever. My content is based on the relationship of the woman I love and my children. It's not based on the circumstances I'm in. That's what it is to be content in Jesus Christ. It's to be content with him and what he does in my life more so than the circumstances. That's where Paul is. I've learned to be content. Whatever's going on in my life, I am content in Jesus Christ because I can look back over my life. He's always been faithful.
I've said this already to you a hundred times. I want you, during my brief period here as your interim pastor, if you can name one day that God has been unfaithful to you, I want to hear about it, okay? When Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, we too can say with Paul, I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances are in my life. Contentment doesn't depend on circumstances. Last one, number three. Contentment, however, is dependent on God. I've sort of kind of said that already, haven't I? In verses 13 through 23, I'm not going to read them again, but this is what Paul brings out. There's three little subpoints that each will take a minute, okay? The first is that contentment, God gives the strength that we need. Here's how it works. When we face bad circumstances that might discourage us, or we face good circumstances that might make us proud and a little arrogant, okay? God will give us the strength to live for his son, Jesus Christ, and to be content either way. Frankly, that's often learned by trial and error, and I could speak well to that. We try doing things in our own strength, and we'll fail. We try doing things in Christ's strength, and we'll succeed. And after a while, you know, if you're like me, we start to get the picture of this thing, all right? And we start depending more and more and more on him. Let me give you one other little illustration. When I was going to Clemson, suddenly, for whatever reason, I was like a junior doing a lot of reading. Suddenly, things begin to get blurry, okay? I couldn't read the page too good. I didn't wear glasses, so I went to get checked out. I went back to Liberty where we lived and, and went to Dr. Hunter, the, the optometrist, and he checked my eyes. He said, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to have some, have some glasses. And he fitted me for some, and I went home and looked at myself and said, man, that's not my style. You know, I don't look good in those. I'm not going to wear them. And so I didn't wear them. And my eyes got worse and worse and worse. I found out that I couldn't do the things that I used to do. I, I could no longer read the way that I used to. I, I, could, I, could, I, I, I was getting headaches. And so I put the glasses on. I didn't care what I looked like. And I began using them. And I discovered I don't have a headache anymore. Man, I can read this page. I can see it the way it's supposed to be, the way it used to be. I could see things now that I couldn't see before. And it's the same way in our Christian lives, I think. As new Christians, we're often too proud to depend on God. Even though we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe, I can handle this. I've done it all these years before. I can do it now by myself, no matter what anyone tells me. But then some failure, some kind of issue comes into our lives, some difficulty and where we can't do it. And God puts on the corrective lens of the strength that we have in Jesus, and we can see and do the things now that were once impossible for you and I. Then we begin to depend more and more and more until we can say, just like Paul, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's where Paul was. The principle is that 
our strength is dependent upon God. The ingredient is that is that God is the one who gives us strength. Secondly, uh, a, a second ingredient of this principle is that God supplies our needs. Do you believe that? Paul has learned from experience that God has met his every need, whether he was free or jailed, poor or, or well off. The whole last section of, of Philippians is occasioned by that offering, that money gift that the Philippian church sent to Paul. There's no doubt that Paul needed the money. He was broke. He was under arrest. He was in jail. And Philippians 4.15 tells us, a really sad verse, that no other church sent him any help. They deserted him, so to speak. Don't you know that had to be a disappointment for him? Don't you know that had to be a challenge to Paul's contentment? But according to verse 17, the greatest benefit was not to Paul, but Paul says the greatest benefit that came out of this offering was to you to you in that little church. He said, I, I do not say this because I'm seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the credit that God is going to give to you, the blessing that God has given to you. And that's a giving lesson that some of us don't understand. When we give to the Lord, the greatest beneficiary isn't the person or the project or even the church getting the money. It's to the giver. It's to the giver. That's what the Bible says, friends. That's not Howard Foster. So when we fail to give, we hurt ourselves the most. I shared this with you who come on Wednesday nights, and I won't take but a minute. When Jane and I married, and I began my first church, we were tithing, you know, every week. Enjoying tithing. We liked tithing. But then when she... Jane found out she was pregnant with our first child. We had always wanted this. We had talked about it before, that when we had children, we'd really like for Jane to come home and raise them. And I know that may not be everybody's desire. Maybe not everybody could do that. But we could. We were living in a parsonage, so we had that little, little thing going for us here. So anyway, we decided to do it. The only problem with that was this was my first church. And Jane was making as much in her banking job as I was in my first church. So we were going to cut our salary in half, 50%, and having to live on 50%. And we were just barely paying our bills with both our salaries. But we were going to do it, and we prayed, God, you know our desire, and we want Jane to come home, and if it's your will, I pray you'll make this happen. And we determined, too, we were still going to tithe, okay, no matter what. We were going to give God his due because we had learned everything we had, God gave to us. Everything you have is a gift of God. Everything. That breath you just took, that's a gift of God. And so we said, God, we're going to give back no matter what. And so we did. And you know what happened? We didn't go out and eat a whole lot. I grew a garden on the top of the hill. We canned. But for 19 years, she stayed home and raised our kids. And I tell my kids that today, you are the people you are 
because your mama stayed home with you. And that was the right thing for us, okay? What I'm saying is this. When you give God his due, and when you tithe, when you give back, you're telling God, God, I recognize all that I have is yours. God, I want to thank you. And I know that you don't need this money. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. But God, it's my way of saying thank you and I love you. And God will bless you more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine. Now, let me close. God had promised that I, he would supply every need that we have according to his glorious riches in God. Paul wrote, my God will do that. You read that verse, what's the most important words there? Supply your need? Supply? The two most important words are, my God. My God. My God. This afternoon, if you have a moment and you remember, sit down and think a minute about your life. My God has supplied what? My God has done this. My God has done that. My God has done this. Look at all the things that he's done. Paul said God supplies all our needs. And it's out of this promise that our contentment in life will grow. That no matter what, God's going to meet my needs. God gets the glory. And that's the real secret of contentment that Paul alluded to in verse 12 where he wrote, May glory be given to God our Father forever and ever and ever. Amen. You see, at the root of discontentment is the desire to give ourselves the glory, to make ourselves look good. And that's what makes us say and do so many of the dumb things in our lives. The secret of contentment is not to live for ourselves, but to live holy for God in his glory forever. And if we do that, everything else falls in place. When God's glory is our highest goal and when we're totally dependent on him, contentment becomes the mark of our lives. So would you agree, after all I've shared with you today, that contentment is in rather short supply, maybe in your life? Has life been an internal turmoil lately for you? Are you always upset with everybody and everything? I'm not talking about driving. <laughs> Are you feverishly trying to change things, to fight the flow and manipulate people? Do you find that no matter what happens, it's never good enough for you? Are you uptight just about life? Then these words in Philippians 4, and the words of this sermon, I believe, they're for you and they're for me. And right now, today, this moment, God invites you to make a switch to contented living. No, it's not going to happen instantly. It will be a process that takes time. But today is the day to begin that. Begin by making your contentment independent of your circumstances and dependent on God 
who will supply every need that you have according to his riches in Jesus Christ. God will give you the strength. God will supply every need. And you will give God the glory. Amen. Father, I thank you for today. And I thank you, God, that, uh, Lord, uh, gosh, there's this treasure chest full of good things that you have for each and every one of us there in your kingdom of heaven. And, Lord, as you told Malachi, even when we give, he said, you test me in that. You give a little bit. You give back. And I'll just pour it into your lap. That's what you've done in my life, in our family's life, in many others. But, Lord, it's more so than just money. Lord, contentment. Money can't buy contentment. And, Lord, there's many here today, perhaps, that are not content. And I pray we can find our peace in you. To know, God, that you'll supply our need. To know that you're teaching us through everything that happens in our lives. To know and to realize and to understand that you are faithful, faithful, faithful to us, even when we don't deserve it. You're a great God. You're a good God. You've been good to us. So now, Father, I pray for any stormy hearts in here today, for any broken hearts, for any sad hearts or angry hearts, whatever, that God would seek you. And we'll begin to find that contentment that we can have in Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfordchurch.org. Blessings.